which um, I guess is par for the course because it's going to be a weird morning. Uh, but that's okay because he is risen. Wow, y'all aren't very awake. I really want a better version of that. Like, we're actually excited. I know it's like, oh, he's going to start preaching. But, like, let's try and do it like we're not falling asleep with too much egg bake in our bellies. He is risen. He is risen If you are a small child, and only if you are a small child, we are not doing that again on Easter. Again, uh, you can head downstairs to Children's Church. Uh, I'm going to do my best at this thing. I am bad at microphones. I I will be very frank about that. I will be very honest. Um, Microphones are not a thing that I am good at. They throw me off. Uh, And so I will do my best unless somebody wants to come up here. And hold this thing up for me like a boom mic. Anyone? All right. <laughs> it's got to be someone tall enough to hold it over my head. So, you know, Cody, Cody Joe, that's a no for you. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw you here and I was like, man, I got to work in a, a joke. Um, all right, let's pray real quick for the message. I know I just finished praying, but I always pray before I preach because I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong stuff. Um, and I need, uh, I need, uh, uh, I need a miracle to not do that. Um, so let's, uh, let's pray real, real fast and we'll dive into this. Um, heavenly father, I pray that you would be with, uh, with me as I preach the word, help me to, uh, be faithful, you know, um, kind of where I'm going. Uh, and I pray that you would, uh, give me grace, uh, to actually get there. Um, I, I pray for your hand, uh, on all of these people that they would hear the gospel today, that they would know you more through, through hearing your word preached and that, that this beautiful morning, uh, with all its fellowship, with all its celebration, with all its family, uh, time together, that, that this would be a time that we would remember that, that Christ, our Lord, uh, he died for our sins and he was resurrected and that, that we have hope, um, because of that. This is the day that we that we praise and celebrate just what we are as believers, um, redeemed and heading for resurrection in an eternity. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, my I think my sister had it. It was a music box, like a little jewelry box, music box, box right? And it played this tune. And from when I was very small until I was... Uh, um, you know, a teenager, I had no idea where the tune was from, but I knew it backward and forward because this music box was always around. Um, I don't know if anybody else ever had an experience like that, you know, something that that tune is in your head. And um, so when I was in high school, myself and a handful of other guys I hung out with, we had a period of time where we were trying to watch like classic movies, these these movies that, that everybody talks about and that, that, you know, everybody says, oh, it's one of the greatest movies ever made. And and I, we watched one or two, and then we we stopped at a, at one in particular. It was, uh, and, and I'm going to show some age here. Everybody under the age of 60 isn't going to know what I'm talking about. But there's this movie, uh, Dr. Zhivago. It's about 12 and a half hours long. Uh, everybody who's seen it knows exactly what I mean. That movie is so long, I feel like I'm still watching it. Um, but that tune is in that movie. And I remember watching it, and in the first three minutes, they started playing it. I'm like, that's the music box. And then 
they, they played that song again. And then they played that song again. And then they played it again. And about three hours into this movie, the guy next to me, like it's all these teenage guys, okay? And this is not a teenage guy movie. There's not a single explosion. Um, there, I don't even think there's a doctor in it. I'm, I, it's weird. Like, so, but, but about three hours in, the guy next to me leans over. He's like, I, I can't take hearing that dumb song again. Like, because it just played over and over and over. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody who's a parent and has a small child has heard every Disney song so many times that you can sing them in your sleep, right? Because, or, or whatever. And, and, (laughs) oh, it won't hold me back anymore, baby. That song doesn't bother me anyway. Um, Wow. That was not planned. Um, as, we, as we dive into the text, and that's like a ridiculous example of it, right? But there are examples that are good. Like I, I didn't want to start talking about Star Wars. That's why I started with Dr. Shivago. But if you watch all of the Star Wars movies, um, the music is amazing. And they work it through every part of every film. And so like it's not repetitive like Dr. Shivago, which is a horrible movie and is used to torture people in third world countries. Um, whereas Star Wars, like, you hear that tune, and, like, it's just sort of woven in, and you hear it, and you're like, oh, I know that. Or you hear the Darth Vader song, right? And you hear it, and you're like, oh, I know that song, right? And, and it brings back all of this memory and all of this image. And as we talk about Easter this morning, what we're going to talk about is the fact that the death of Christ and the resurrection on Sunday morning is woven in to every aspect of the creation. It is woven into the scriptures. It is woven into the history of the world. It is woven into the order in which everything came to be. And it is like a tune that you hear over and over again, but it never gets old. It gets better every time you hear it. And like, like when you finally get to the actual full version of it, man, it's exciting, right? It is, it is like thrilling. Your heart soars when you realize what it is. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to be in uh, the scriptures. And, and like actually we're specifically going to look at the phrase according to the scriptures. Um, we're going to start out in 1 Corinthians 15. And what's going on? First off, if you are here another year you will, or, or have been here before, I realized this year I have – either quoted or preached on 1 Corinthians 15 every Easter I have been a professional pastor every every year because this is like this is it okay this is like when you listen to um do y'all know the ode to joy da 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 da, da, da. it's in die hard right like i it was not written for die hard if you listen to beethoven's ninth that little tune is throughout, and it's sort of different in various parts. When you finally get to the, the choral part of it, they sing, and it's huge, and it's awesome, right? Um, this is that choral-like anthem moment in the scriptures, okay? Um, and so what's going on is Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and there's a group of folks in this church who are arguing with each other. I know, arguing in a church, who would have ever thought such a thing could happen? But these guys are arguing about whether or not the dead are raised. I cannot step back. I hate this. 
whether or not the dead are raised. And so they're arguing about whether or not like, like anybody, anybody would come back from the dead. And part of the reason for this is Corinth is in Greece, right? And the Greeks, like the, the idea of resurrection of the dead is ridiculous to them as a culture, right? Um, it is absolutely absurd. It runs contrary to everything they're about. It's like forgiving people in our culture, right? We, we get mad at folks, we shoot them. That's what the movies tell us. Um, but in reality, we as believers are to forgive and we're to like take punches and turn the other cheek and all that. I mean, like there's this crazy upside down version of the world that is in the scriptures. And so like they're arguing about this resurrection thing and there's this whole swath of folks in the church that say the dead are not raised. And so Paul starts addressing this and he starts out, um, in 15 Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And so he's starting out placing his argument. He's saying, listen, y'all heard this message and you believed it. And this is what you are about as Christians. This is it. This is the central message. This is what you believe. And he's going to keep coming back to that as the primary hinge of his argument. Okay. Um, so you believe this on which you received and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So like believe this, hold on to it, make it central to who you are, live by it, love it, learn it the whole nine yards or understand you're wasting your time. So we go on three to eight here for what I received I passed on to you as a first importance. Now, real quick, it says, listen, what I learned, what I know, I gave to you. This is the most important thing, the first important thing. And so if you're going to hear me say nothing else today, this is it, right? Because Paul says this is it. That Christ died for your sins, for our sins, according to the scriptures. There's a phrase there, according to the scriptures, right? So Paul is citing something. Um, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. Now, Cephas is a Greek version of the name Peter. I have no idea why that is. I have never understood it. It is bizarre to me. It actually, I think, even means teeth. So do what you want with that. Um, but it's Peter. So he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Um, So real quick. What he's saying is he's saying, listen, the most important thing is Jesus is raised. Like he is risen. This is my gauge for how awake you are. I'm going to start shouting. Um, Because Paul considers this to be the most important element, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried. And on the third day, he raised again because he is risen. That's a little better, I guess. Um, and I'm actually going to go a little off script here. I do not have slides to these passages, but um, I'm going to talk about three things. OK, three points is a rare thing to see me do three points. Uh, so uh, mark it in your calendar. Um, first off, that the resurrection itself is built into the very 
like marrow and the very heart of creation. It is a part of everything. It is in the DNA of the world. Um, The second thing we're going to talk about is that this resurrection has been the hope of God's people since forever, right? And then the last thing is that the resurrection, according to the scriptures, is the last refuge of us wicked people. I'm not saying you wicked people because I bet I got most of you beat ten times over and twice on Sunday. Like us wicked people. We are saved we are rescued. We are redeemed by this, by this act. And it is, it is everything. It is, the, it is the fabric of reality. And so we're going to start out, actually, in Corinthians. Because Paul does something crazy here. He buried an argument in his text that, like, I think he taught them when he was in Corinth establishing this church. And it's buried in there, and if you don't know a little bit of Greek and you don't know a little bit of the background, you could easily miss it. Watch this. Um, So in this text right here, he says, and actually I don't even have to look at my Bible because it's on my slides, um, he appeared to Cephas, right? Then to the 12, and he appeared to more than 500. And then finally he appeared to James, and last of all, he appeared to me. Now, that doesn't seem very significant, except that the word appeared is in there over and over and over again. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, the word appeared that's used there is a weird word. He picked out a, like an obscure word, and he drew it into his text, and then he pounded it home. And so, like, anybody who knows Greek, like, you'd read this and be like, oh, wow, what an odd thing. You'd probably have to look it up because you wouldn't know it. Um, and then you start looking around and saying, well, where else does this word show up? And the answer is almost nowhere, right? Paul oftentimes is plain spoken. When he uses unusual words or weird phrases, it's always for a reason. And so we're going to jump back to one of the only spots it appears in the scriptures, which is in Genesis. Kind of interesting. Um, In Genesis, in the very, very beginning, chapter 1, right? And I do not have a slide for this. I apologize um, because I wasn't going to include this. And then I thought, you know what? This is is huge. So you got the first day. You got the second day. Let there be light. You know, divide the heaven and the earth. The earth is chaos, formless, and void, and all this other stuff. And you got the second day. And you get to the third day, and you have. So, mind you. The Bible, the Old Testament, was written in Hebrew originally, but all of the guys in the New Testament read it in Greek, right? There's one translation of the ancient, you know, the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. It's called the Septuagint or the LXX, if you are like a fancy know-it-all and want to look smart, Um, like me. Uh, (laughs) And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. The only other place that word is used. And it is on not the first day, not the second day, but the third day. Now, here's where this gets kind of cool. In the Old Testament, whenever you see water reference, right? The sea, the ocean, the rivers, it is a reference to death. It is chaos because water is chaotic, right? There's this idea you stand next to a river and you look at it. It's the same river for about a moment, and then it's not the same river anymore because it flows right on by, right? The Jews, like, in their writing, whenever they talk about death or hell or anything, water is it. 
Um, and so, like, the idea here is, uh, and what Paul probably means in this setting is, like, the reason he's using this word is, he's drawing out the idea that death reigned. And actually, if you go to the very beginning, the world was formless and void, and God was over the waters. And the idea behind that is the world was chaos. Everything was chaos. Everything was disaster. Everything was dead. And then God made life, right? And so then he separates the water from the dry land. And all of a sudden, there's a place to stand. And the very first thing that happens when he separates the water from the dry land is life appears as plants begin to grow, right? Now, you might say, well, that seems like a stretch, Eric, until you jump to the end of the chapter where Paul continues to talk, right? You're going to jump a few verses ahead. And Paul begins to talk about, like, well, what is the resurrection even going to look like? Are we going to look like we do now? Am I going to, like, you know, wake up still fat? You know, like, am I, am I going to be before God, like, like with arthritis? And am I going to be before God, like, with a, with a receding hairline, though not as bad as my brother's? Um, or will I be fixed? And Paul says, you know what? In the resurrection, everybody will be made whole. Everybody will be made right. Everybody will be made the way they're supposed to be. Like we won't need glasses. We won't need crutches. We won't need canes. We won't need, you know, oxygen masks. We won't need any of that stuff because we will be fixed and we'll be in glorified bodies. And so Paul has this whole thing about glorified bodies. And he says, but God gives it a body and he is, he has chosen Uh, And to each kind of seed, his own body, Um, for not all flesh is the same, but some are. But there is one kind of human and another for animals and another for birds and another for fish. Now, watch this. He's saying, listen, everything is made out of its own kind of flesh, right? Fish aren't made out of the same stuff we are, right? Um, Animals aren't made out of the same stuff we are. Like beef is the only thing made out of beef. And, and pigs are the only thing made out of bacon, and, and that's it, right? And so we as humans have our own thing. But he lists off people, animals, fish, or birds, and then fish, right? Which is the backward order that everything is created in, ending at the third day, when life first appeared. What does this mean? What am I supposed to do with this? Because on the third day, God knew, like before the creation of the world, God knew the fall would happen. Before you were born, God knew you would screw up. You know that ugly nonsense that you think about when you're laying in bed at night and you can't quite sleep? And like that dumb thing you did and that wicked stuff or the stuff you're really ashamed of or whatever, it pops up or the things that happen to you or like, you know, the things that make you wake up in a cold sweat, that stuff, God knew it would all happen. And in the very heart of creation, he acknowledged, I'm going to fix this. And I'm going to fix it because my son is going to die. And on the third day, he'll raise again. And that'll be the very first of all of the resurrection. Everyone we love, everyone we lost, everyone who is gone will rise again. And it's built into the world. Actually, if you read the scriptures, there's this idea called the, uh, the scarlet thread. And the argument is that everywhere in the scriptures you find Jesus. And you do. It's over and over and over again because God has built Easter into everything. That's why when people die, anybody had somebody they really love, like, pass away? They're just gone. Remember last year, about this time, I was 
like like my mom died last year. And it was just sudden. I got a, I was doing counseling with somebody, and I got a phone call I didn't answer. And then afterwards, I answered it, and it was my dad, and he's crying. He said, you know, something terrible's happened, and that's it. And I remember standing at the funeral, like, um, a month or so later, and, and you know, thinking, this isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't supposed to happen. Anybody ever feel that way? Because that's built into us. It's not supposed to happen. The world got broken. And the resurrection is the way it's supposed to be. We will all come back because God is setting it all right. And he began setting it all right from the very beginning before we even sinned, before we even failed, before we even, you know, rebelled or got addicted or whatever. Like God began to set it right. And so it is the hope of creation. It is built into it. So it is also the hope of God's people. We're going to look at the book of Psalms. Um, David wrote this, okay? And David is talking about death at this point. He says, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. These are good, right? Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Now, there are some folks who will read this in English and say, well, It just means that I won't die. And in actuality, the word abandoned means leave behind. David is acknowledging, I'm going to die, right? There's a horrible reality. All of us will do it. The mortality rate in humanity right now is unbelievable. It's 100% and the government hasn't done a darn thing about it. Well, never mind. I'm going to make a joke about that. You will not abandon me to the grave. You will not abandon me to to the depths. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. This is translated a bunch of different ways, right? Sometimes it's translated, you will not let your holy one see decay. Um, What does that mean? Well, it's easy to read that and say, oh, he's talking about himself. Except he says, nor. So he's talking about someone else. Your holy one, our holy one, is a phrase that is used in the Old Testament exclusively to refer to Jesus, to refer to the Messiah. And so it says, hey, I will not be abandoned. I will not be left behind in the ground. And your holy one will not see decay. Meaning Jesus himself will not remain dead. The resurrection will come It will happen, and I will not be left behind. I will come with it. You make known to me the path of life, and you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So what David is saying is, listen, I know I'll die, but you make known to me the path of life, meaning there's a way out. Meaning every one of us, right? But the resurrection will come because Christ is risen. He is risen. Wow, I must be boring you to sleep. I'm dying here. This is not the only instance of this. I could stand up here and do a whole sermon on this alone. The hope over and over again in the Old Testament is God will not abandon me to the grave. David says in another spot, which I love and I quote it all the time, even if I make my bed in hell, you'll come and get me when the time, ha- when the time comes. Like, we cannot escape his grace. We cannot run far enough away. And even the moment I stop breathing and my heart stops beating, 
I have hope. The amazing thing about Easter, again, it's built into everything, even into our very souls, because we know death isn't natural and it's not right. But beyond that, it's the hope for those of us who belong to Christ. And finally, it's the last refuge. Easter, Good Friday, this is the last refuge for those of us who are wicked, right? And I say us because I don't know about y'all. I'm good at being bad. Um, I don't like it. You know, the good things I want to do are never the things I end up doing. Instead, I do what I hate. I rebel against God at every opportunity. Um, Hosea. Hosea is a rough book. I'm going to say it like outright. Hosea was one of God's prophets. He's a minor prophet. And in the Old Testament, Hosea was told, go marry that gal, Gomer. Now, oh my goodness. I, culturally, it was an appropriate name, okay? Like, <laughs> she probably wasn't in the army. But golly, that is a bad name. Um, thanks for laughing. That was just awful. I, I feel bad that I even said it. So he marries Gomer, but the thing is, Gomer's a prostitute. Like, not only is she a prostitute, but she's like, like, like broken inside. And so she pursues other men and she ends up leaving him over and over again. And they have several children together, except that all of their children end up with names like son of another man or someone else's child. Um, And the whole point of the book of Hosea is, like, Hosea loves Gomer. He actually loves her. But she runs away from him over and over again. She chooses to be a a slave prostitute in in a pagan temple rather than be with with her husband. She loves everyone, strangers, more than she loves him. And God says over and over again, this is what it's like for me when my people want someone that isn't me. When they chase after sin, when they chase after, you know, the, the, the flesh, when they chase after alcohol or when they chase after, you know, stuff or money or, or whatever. Like they chase after all of these things instead of chasing after me. This is how it hurts me. By the way, despite the fact that God is hurt that way by us, he sent his son to be punished for the sins we commit. That's Good Friday. God poured his wrath out on Christ for our sins. Man, Hosea is a hard book. But there's this passage here in Hosea. This is Hosea 6. Um, because the whole thing's kind of an analogy for God's relationship with Israel. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. I noticed a bunch of y'all said third day, right? It's like you know the song before you hear it, right? It's almost like that stupid Dr. Shivago, right? 
The song just keeps playing, and it's in the background of every text of the scriptures, and it's in the background of every play and every novel and every everything because the reality that Christ died for us and conquered the grave on Easter resonates like a sonic boom throughout history. Throughout the scriptures, we see it over and over again. On the third day, he rose, and you and I, my mom, and our friends, and our loved ones, and everybody who is dead in Christ, who is asleep, will rise again. Praise God for that. I'm a little long, but I don't care. So we're going to look at one more text from the Old Testament. Uh, Yeah, we'll do this one. We'll do it fast, though. He was assigned, this is Isaiah, it's the servant songs. He's talking about Jesus, right? This is another one that you can't do Easter, you can't do Good Friday without quoting Isaiah, right? Because Isaiah, man, he nails it. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, meaning he was buried in a rich man's tomb, which Jesus was. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Though the Lord makes his life an offering for sins. This is 700 years before Jesus was born, mind you. The Lord makes his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. And he made intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors. That's you and me, guys. Right? We do not live lives where we got to pile up more good deeds than bad deeds in order to make it into heaven. God isn't waiting there. Somebody uh, was picking on me that that I would show up at heaven and my, my graveside selfies in the Holy Land would be just the straw that broke the camel back and sent me to hell. Like I, <laughs> Not that I took selfies at holy sites. Um, <laughs> what Isaiah is telling us is, listen, my Holy One, Jesus crushed for our sins, crushed for your sins, crushed for the sins of those around us. I cannot outsin Christ's blood for me, right? God poured his wrath out on him, and he looks at me and he sees Jesus' righteousness. I'm forgiven just because I belong to him. And he was resurrected. This is the last hope for sinners. We are the only, Christianity is the only faith ever where God realizes we cannot climb up to him, and so he comes down to us. He realizes we can't be punished for our sins because the punishment is too much for us to bear, and so he pours his blood out on our behalf. Um, you know, we, we, we're blessed with the last refuge, and so it's built into the creation. It is the hope of his chosen people. And finally... It's the hope of every wicked man, woman, and child, which is all of us. But those of us who know how destitute and rotten we are, it's our hope. I'm going to finish with Paul's words, and he's going to kind of kill it, and I'm not going to have to say much more. 
But but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So Paul says, hey, like if Christ didn't come back to life, everything we're saying, everything I have just said is nonsense. And everything we believe is nothing if Christ hasn't been raised. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. And we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also... Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for his people we have hope in Christ. We are of all people to be most pitied. So he's saying, listen, if Jesus wasn't raised, then the sinner has no hope. Then the believers who are righteous and had hope in eternity because of God's resurrection, they have nothing. And the whole creation is broken forever. But. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, meaning the very first apples off the tree, the very first cherries coming off of the bush, I don't know, maybe, tree. Uh, The very first, the very first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And Paul finishes basically saying Adam broke the creation and Christ fixed it. Guys, I know I'm long-winded, but I can't say enough about how amazing this was. Like, I can't say enough about how this beautiful song playing throughout the world, playing throughout our lives, playing in our hopes, in our dreams, playing in everything. You hear it over and over again. And today on Easter, we sing about it. But every day of our lives, this is it. Christ is risen. Amen. I'm going to close in prayer. I'm actually right about where I usually finish. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much for Easter. Thank you so much for the hope in the resurrection. Thank you that, that Christ poured out his blood for a rotten man like me. Um, Thank you that that believers for generations have had hope in the resurrection, hope in eternity because of of your son. And thank you that that us sinners like that we have hope. Thank you for making the creation right. I pray those of us who who know you would be uplifted and those of us who don't would, would have our hearts pierced and that we would come to know you intimately. I pray for for Jesus to to pursue us, to be in us. To, to make us new every day. And Lord God, I praise you that Jesus is risen. Amen.